Lead and empower her with Dr. Julie Ducharme, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their success into your life and business. Lead and empower her with Dr. Julie Ducharme is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Dr. Julie Ducharme. Hi, welcome to the She CEO Talks podcast. I'm Dr. Julie Ducharme back for another podcast with an amazing She CEO. I want to really quickly thank our sponsors. First is Milk Labs for also being a sponsor of our Lead Empower She Talks, where they're donating this amazing oatmeal. I'm always on the go. So if you guys are looking for something delicious, fast, and healthy, this is it. Also, I have to give a big shout out to Ally Shoes. These are custom shoes based in New York. They are not only only donating shoes to our women veteran and our event that's happening, but they're also giving us all these great discounts. We will put the links down below, but if you want comfortable shoes, this is where it's at. They will actually custom make to your shoe size. So thank you, Ally Shoes, for your donations and everything you're doing to support our lead and empower She Talks, which is happening on March 11th in Houston. So we'll put all those links in there so you guys can catch them. But now let's get to our amazing She Talker today. I have with us Sharon Lecter, and I'm going to read a little bit of your bio, Sharon. You of course, have an amazing long list and talk about it. But I want for those of them, uh, people who may not know you to know a little bit about you. So uh, Sharon is an entrepreneur, an international speaker, a best-selling author. As soon as I mention some of these books, you guys are all going to know what they what they are. Um, although a philanthropist, a CPA for 35 years, um, Sharon is a premier expert in financial literacy, which is so true. I've met, read so many of your books and you've had a lifelong education advocate in 1989. You joined forces with the first electronic talking book. And of course now obviously audible and so many other things are happening. So you guys were definitely ahead of your time on that. And 1997, Sharon co-authored the international bestseller, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and has released 14 other books in the Rich Dad series. And over 10 years as the co-founder and CEO, she's built an empire and the world's leading personal finance brand. A few other books that I know you guys will all know is she was also brought in to help with the Napoleon Hill Foundation and help re-energize the powerful teachings of Napoleon Hill. She's released three best-selling books in cooperation with the foundation, Think and Grow Rich, Three Feet from Gold, Outwitting the Devil, and, and her latest project, Think and Grow Rich for Women, which we'll talk about today. And she's also been featured in the Think and Grow Rich movie, which I saw. Um, and so we could go on and on, but Sharon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm really excited about this podcast in collaboration with um, the War Room and Strategic Advisory Board because we really wanted to talk to women who are in leadership positions in all different industries around the world and dig deep into that because we believe that women break a unique aspect of diversity to the organization with our thoughts and how we work. So I guess I wanted to just go back a little bit and ask you, how did you get into this world of finance and book publishing? I know a lot of women really want to become authors. And so I know that they would love to hear how you stepped into this industry. Well, thank you so much. It's a delight to be here. And I really, um, Publishing is a tool for me to get my message out. My message is about financial responsibility and, and really financial empowerment. I grew up in a very lower middle class house. We lived in a little tiny house between my mom's beauty shop, my dad's used car lot. 
and he worked full time. And I, you know, I just looked around and my friends' parents were CEOs or military officers. And I swore, you know, we had rental properties. I had to scrub out the bathrooms between tenants when I was 10. Uh, and I swore I'd never be an entrepreneur. I thought that was just way too much work. And it wasn't, I, I was first generation to go to college, got my degree in accounting, it was really a trailblazer for women because very few women were in my classes. And then I was one of the very first few women that started public accounting in Atlanta. And I was very successful and was in a, really an upward mobile career. But at about the ripe old age of 25, all of a sudden, my parents looked a lot smarter because I was working incredibly long hours, not in control of my own schedule. And I'm kind of a control freak. I said, you know, I don't know. I like to be in control of what I do. And one of my clients invited me to go into a company he was buying out of bankruptcy and own a piece of the rock. And so I went back to my condo and I had pros and cons on yellow legal pad. Didn't help me a bit because I could argue both sides. But my hand took off across the top of the page and said, why not? Why not do something different? Why not take the path less traveled? Why not, you know, chart a new course? Why not solve a problem and serve a need? And so I really never looked back. I've been building businesses ever since. And usually when I get mad about something, I start a new company. So <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. And you're right. You know, something that I love about being an entrepreneur is being able to control my fate. Um, nothing was worse than being underneath someone and feeling like I couldn't control where my career was going and, um, and working countless, countless hours, but not making the money I should be making. And so I, I agree with you. And, and I love hearing that about you, how you transitioned and said, let's go for it. Right. Because I hear a lot of people say someday I'm going to start my own business. Um, just when the time's right. And yeah. I'm always like, the time's never going to be right. <laughs> you just got to do it. And I love that. And and as you talk about working in an industry that is predominantly male dominated, and also, you know, a word that a lot of times we talk about finances is considered like a dirty word, especially for women. I know I grew up in a family that, you know, that wasn't a focus. I didn't get training on it. I went to college and I had never even had my own checking account. Um, and I think I broke every finance rule in the book. You know, I got credit cards, I maxed them out. I just, everything that I could break, I broke. Um, and so I know for me, I, I had to educate myself. And of course, now I'm, I'm thankful that I can educate my children. But you wrote a book called Think and Grow Rich. And I know that culturally, and I know this isn't every culture, but culturally, I often see that just this isn't an important thing that is, is given to women is to learn finances and understand them. And then they get into a position where they're desperate and they have to. So think and grow rich for women. Tell us about this and, and maybe what could women glean from this? Certainly. Well, the original think and grow rich by Napoleon Hill was released in 1937. And that's when women, there were no women in business. And so it's very male centric, but the messages are, are very appropriate there still is a valid today as the when he re, when he released in 1937 but i thought you know women have this hesitancy they have a lack of confidence and we need to give them something to follow that they can relate to and so thinking grow rich for women follows the same chapter outline and the same success principles because i do believe the success principles are the same for men and women we just approach them very differently mm -hmm. and so I wrote, wrote it with that in mind, with those same principles, but through the eyes of successful women, 
I have over 300 women in the book. And so you might read one chapter and say, oh, that's not me. But the next one's like, oh, I could do that. And so I wanted to give resources for women to find that, that I can do this attitude because most basically just give up the finances. They let their husband or their partner, they don't pay attention to it. And that lack of confidence puts you at a huge disadvantage in life. And that's one of the reasons why I'm as passionate as I am, because in that household I grew up in, we talked about words like assets, appreciation, um, capital gains, cash flow. Those are the kinds of things that I grew up understanding, the power of not chasing income, but working towards buying, building, creating income, producing assets. And nobody else got that education. So you're not alone. You know, very, very few people have been taught to understand money. And so that was my, and my son actually got into the credit card that you're talking about when he went to college. And that was December of 1992. And that's when I dedicated the rest of my career to financial literacy and financial education. And I'm as passionate about it today as I was back then. Uh, I love that. And, you know, it's, it's, I've been able to, my daughter, for example, she's 14. And uh, I said this year, I said, okay, you know what, I'm going to set up a checking account for you and you can work for the company and you can make X amount of money. And, you know, in two years, you're going to be able to drive. So I'm going to, I want you to put half your money away to save for a car and then I'll match what's left over, what you need for that. And, you know, with the whole goal of her learning how to manage her money and working and understanding that I, I worked very hard um, growing up out in like a farm area. So when you talked about scrubbing floors and all that, I remember thinking, I do not want to be a farmer and I do not want to be a dairyman. This is really hard work. Um, but I, I knew that I wanted something more like that. And so I love that because finances is kind of scary when you don't know about it and it's intimidating. And I remember even being embarrassed, not knowing things. I didn't want to ask and look like I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, so I, I'm really excited to, you know, push this book out. I know you wrote it a while ago, but it, it we have been just in my group having constant conversations with women and I work with women veterans as, as well. And this is a big thing for many women veterans when they come out, they don't have this type of financial education. And we know that the women's needs are different than the men. So I think this is really exciting to continue to look at that. Um, another thing I saw that you were talking on and, and, and we talk about, you know, um, this is another one here. Finances are a big thing that sometimes contributes to divorce in families. It's one up there as one of the top things is money as an issue. And you have a talk or, um, that on your website, that says becoming a master of your money and turning financial stress into a financial empowerment. I would love to hear about this because very rarely do we hear finance and empowerment put together in the same sentence. So I'd love to hear some tips on that. Well, when it comes to money, you're either in control of your money or it's in control of you. There's really not much in between. And too many people are struggling and their money controls them and they end up going to bed at night, stress out about money. A recent survey given what's happening in the economy it really was frightening. 87% of Americans are stressed out about money. And what's even more frightening is that same percentage is, you know, the 81, 82% in millennials and Gen Z, which historically has not really cared about money that much. And yet we have increase in mental health issues and now they're stressed out about money. It's very disconcerting. And the way to get around that is financial education. 
And yet we still don't have very many states that require finance, personal finance for, for high school graduation. And that's something that I'm trying to change because once a child knows how to make money, that's a gift of a lifetime. Yeah. And it's so important because people, you know, they need more money and they get a second job or they work overtime. And that's not the answer because there's only one of you. And there's only so many hours in the day, so many days in the week. So once you start buying, building, creating assets, how many assets can you have? As many as you can get. And so when you start reframing your thought process and get rid of that scarcity mindset, which comes from when we're little, because when we're little, we hear things like money doesn't grow on trees, pinch your pennies, save for a rainy day. We can't afford it. All of those things are negative. So you grow up many negative, money negative, money negative. No wonder your subconscious creates a mindset of scarcity. And once you can see where it came from, then you can release it and feel that empowerment of we do world live in a world of abundance. If I start focusing on adding value and buying, building, creating assets, I can create a financial foundation that moves me from financial stress to financial confidence. Yeah. I mean, gosh, you're, you're preaching on a topic that's so near and dear. My husband's um, been in elementary education for close to 20 years. And um, for years I've said, you know, if we could just give students when they get to high school, they get four years of something, but they learn how to make money. Like you're saying, and the financial class, it's like, I think Florida just implemented this where all kids have to take a, a financial course. And I was like, yes, that's it. Because it's, it's, easy to understand once it's presented to you, but it's, it's interesting how far we miss it. But in this world, it's like, Hey, just get, just get credit. You know, debt is, I, I can't remember what someone said, but the debt of the average person was just massive. And, you know, it's like, well, just get a credit card, just put it on credit. You know, that's what people say. I'll oh, just go do that. You know? And like you said, a lot of times people don't understand the asset side, right? Like we can't just chase revenue because revenue is never going to move us to generational wealth which I think if we could teach generational wealth, what a different world we'd live in today, you know, if people had that education. Um, and I agree with that. And and yes, we absolutely need, I think there's a few other states that do it. I just recently remembered Florida, but if that could be a mandate across the board, I mean, what a change it would be to see yeah, that. There are, there are only seven or eight states. I think Florida might be number eight that require a personal finance class for graduation. There are 17 others that require to have it taught, but it's it wrapped into other courses. So there's not the, the emphasis isn't where it needs to be. Yeah. And also who's creating those classes, right? What is the content? I mean, that's so important as well. Um, and I just actually recently just uh, attended a, a workshop this weekend with someone who was preaching the same thing you are um, about that transition of the mindset and that we can't be focused on just constantly, you know, chasing revenue, but looking mm -hmm. at the assets and what we have and it, exactly same thing. And it's, it's such an epiphany. And you, I think to myself, I'm 45 now. Well, I wish I would have known that when I was 23, you know, and I could have set myself up even better back then. Well, when I'm looking at these things, another thing I saw on your website, cause I was stalking you nicely. I just want you to know that I've been, <laughs> I've been stalking you nicely. You have so many things going on. I'm just like, okay, there's so much to talk about, but something else you had on there was focus your strengths. It said, focus your strengths, hire your weakness. I am really intrigued by this. What does this mean? Hire your weakness. Well, particularly women, we tend to try, think we have to do it all by ourselves. We have to do it all. 
And so many times women are focused on busyness, doing things that someone else could do. We need to learn how to delegate. Hire somebody who is strong where you are weak and let them do the things that you're not really good at and focus on the forward momentum of your business. Focus on where your strengths are. So that's where the the term focus on your strengths and hire your weaknesses. So hire people to do the things that you're not that good at. I mean, for me, I have a team with social media. I mean, it would take me forever to figure all that stuff out. So I hire a team that has the latest technology, understands what's supposed to be happening. And I work hand in hand with them so that I can focus on doing the videos, doing the messaging, and they take care of the delivery. And it's really important that if you want to accelerate your success, move your business forward, don't be your own drag. Because if you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing, you're not having the momentum you should. Yeah, gosh, that's so true. I I definitely broke that rule early on in life as well. Um, I worked in a very male dominated world. And my thought was I have to do it all in order to look successful among my peers. So I appreciate you saying that because that is desperately needed across all realms. We, you know, these she talks we do are all about um, women's empowerment. And someday we're going to get to Arizona. We're going to get you there because we need you to preach this to our women um, about that. God, it's such a great message. And I love that. So I want to shift gears for a moment and talk about, you know, you being a woman in an industry that was very male dominated. And I know there are other women who are maybe in industries like this or thinking about moving and they want to move into that kind of head leadership position. What are some tips that you might be able to give them as they move into this? Because I know the tip that was given to me, which wasn't good, is everyone said, just behave like a man, you know, wear a black suit and you'll do fine. That was the worst advice I ever got. So what advice could you give women who are either in the industry or aspiring to move into the industry? Well, Julie, I started my career before they even had terms like sexual discrimination or gender bias, that those things didn't exist. I just knew that when I started in public accounting, I had to work harder than the guys that were hired with me. I had to prove myself. And so I didn't have an attitude. I had a dedication. I wanted to succeed. And so I did what I needed to, to succeed. Now, was that fair? Maybe not, but you can spend your time, you know, arguing or just let's get it done. And so I believe that we all have the ability to succeed. And if you are the right person for the job, you have the right to have that position and just work hard at it. The issue is sometimes we get a little too defensive. We get to start finger pointing, just get the job done. And will there be bias in the workplace? Yes, of course there will be. The issue is, are you going to let that stop you? Is that, are you going to let that make you mad? Which then really you're taking on that discrimination as a, as a scar, ignore it and keep moving forward and working. And I know there'll be people that are mad at what I'm saying, but from experience, I, I knew if I wanted to succeed, I had to work hard and I had to get things accomplished. And that's why you see a lot of women leaving the workforce and becoming entrepreneurs. I mean, the vast majority of new businesses started or being started by women. And many of them are, are, have left the workforce because of the barriers they feel like that are holding them back. And it is true, you know, and that's the issue is whether you continue in an environment that is not um, supportive and conducive. No, you know, I, I talk about sometimes you have to close the door for other doors to open but don't lose sight of what you want to do what your mission is and always have an optimistic 
attitude that you can go out there and create something for yourself. And it's something that we have to work together. I mean, women, when I first started my career, women were not very nice to other women. And now people, you know, women are supporting other women much more. And I'm very pleased to see it. I'm actually co-hosting an international women's summit uh, in a couple of months. And I'm just so thrilled to see all the women that are standing up and saying, I want to support other women. Yeah. And that's something we preach at Lead and Empower Her is we say, listen, we are your biggest advocate. We're not your biggest competitor. And um, I experienced something like that. I moved into a big position young on when I was very young and I was super excited because I had a female boss and I had female counterparts. I had never worked with women before. And I thought, oh, this is going to be amazing. Well, it turned out to be one of the worst toxic experiences of my life. The women were very vicious and they weren't supportive. And at my young age, I was very naive and not understand. I'm like, I don't understand. Like why, why we're supposed to be this superpower. And, um, I remember eventually I made the decision, as you said, I, I thought, you know, there's nowhere for me to go up in this it's toxic. I'm going to move out of this, which was very difficult. Cause it was a big position. I'd gotten early on. I thought, gosh, everyone's going to think I'm a failure and I can't handle it. But I talked with the mentor said, you know what? you've got those businesses that you've been kind of playing with. Why don't you just go and take those to the next level? And I thought to myself, okay, well, maybe I'll try it, you know? And cause no one had ever said to me, you know, everyone said women don't do business. So I thought, well, okay, I'll try it. And that was that transition for that. Um, but like you, that was my motto, just work hard because people go, oh, well, were there people who stopped you? And I said, no, I can't give you anyone's name who stopped me from doing what I was doing. If I wanted it bad enough, I just did it. And I found a way through it. And me leaving that job, which I thought was the worst thing ever, was actually the best thing that ever happened to me. As you said, it opened another door and took me down another path. But I am thankful for the experience because I needed that experience to know what I needed to do. And, and I agree with you. I mean, I think that, you know, we just got to get the job done and sometimes we got to work harder than others, but that's just part of, that's just part of life. <laughs> so that's when right. you say people might get mad at what you're saying, you know, I say the same thing and I don't care because, you know, this is life, right? You want it, you go get it. So, um, but I, well, I, I have a lot, one of the, one of the reasons I wrote Thank You Rich for Women was I was getting frustrated at all the complaining and criticizing women were doing about all the men that were holding them back and standing in their way. And if you are a student of the law of attraction, what do you attract when you complain and criticizing? Nothing positive is all negative. And so I said, let's stop complaining and criticizing the men in our way. And let's start celebrating the progress we've made and celebrating the men that have helped us. And so if we change from complaining and criticizing to celebration, what do we start attracting? Positive things. Now, are there men that are not nice? Of course, but there are women who are not nice. Find the people, your tribe that support you, want to um, open doors for you, and let's celebrate the progress women have made. Is there more progress to be made? Of course there are. Back in the year 2000, there were only two um, women CEOs in Fortune 500, and I think we're up to 37 or something. It's you know we went up to at least four percent. Is it? Do we need more? Yes, but the progress has been made, and we continue to move in the right direction. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, something interesting, um, gosh, this is probably about 13 years ago when I was doing my doctorate, but I did it on the topic of why were women not moving into senior leadership positions as fast as their male counterparts. And once again, in my kind of naiveness, I thought, oh, I'm sure it's the good old boys club. They're just stopping all of them. And I did this study and I found out that wasn't the case at all. Many women chose not to take those big positions because they chose to have a family and later on in life, after their kids were grown, move into those positions. And yes, as you said, were there men uh, that were mean? Of course there was, and there was women, but it was a real epiphany to me. And then later on in my life, when I had my kids, I turned down some big positions because I had two little toddlers running through my house. And I, I had to say, even with an incredibly supportive husband, I had to decide what I wanted to do. And so I thought, you know what? Those bigger positions can wait till a little later in life you know, I'm going to raise my kids and do something a little different. And so I look at that and I think, you know, a lot of times perception is, you know, such a big thing, right? How we perceive life. And so for me, I didn't feel like I, I missed out on anything by taking that time to be with my kids. And it led me down the entrepreneurship path. Um, but that was 13 years ago. And I interviewed 20 CEO women from big companies that it was anonymous. So I can't mention the companies, but I, I just remember realizing okay, I got to rethink how I am approaching my, my business world. And so I love that. And, and for those of you guys listening, you know, if you want to grab the book, I'm sure it's on Amazon, right? Sharon, that they can grab the think and grow rich. Yeah, um, rich for women. If you, you can order it through my website, SharonLector.com, and I will um, autograph it for you. So. Awesome. Awesome. I'm probably going to do that and then grab, get a bunch of those and take them to our next She Talks. So any new projects coming up that we should be on the lookout for? Any new books that you want to direct us to? Well, I have a new book coming out this year. It's called How Money Works for Women. So it's again, uh, an extended um, topic on, on, on money and women as, um, in conjunction with a large financial services company. So that should be out in about four or five months. And that's been a good fun. Awesome. Well, and we'll keep an eye out for that. And for those of you guys who might be working out, you're not in front of your computer, we will put all of the links on here to get to Sharon, her books, all the new things happening. Thank you so much for being on the show, Sharon. It's so inspiring, the work you're doing. It makes such a difference for not only women my age, but our up and coming future women. So we love it. And as I always say, live, love, laugh, and always be your authentic self. Thanks for listening to Lead and Empower Her with your host, Dr. Julie Ducharme. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates, and we'll see you on the next episode.